So we are in Psalm 23. Hopefully you've turned there in your Bible. We are about finished with the series on this Psalm 23, the 23rd Psalm. Uh, again, one of those Psalms that we, we tend to take for granted because we, we know it so well. We've memorized it so well and so deeply. And so when it's, it's spoken or it's read, it just kind of rolls off someone's tongue and it kind of rolls off uh, the top of our head as well uh, and over our head. We, we kind of don't let it sink to our heart. So today I'm going to read the text uh, in, in entirety, the, the one through six verses, and we're going to study verse five today and pack that, unpack that. Uh, as we go. So Psalm 23, uh, and just uh, again, I encourage you to listen and, uh, and let it just impact your heart. Uh, you'd hear it afresh or anew today. Uh, you don't have to follow along in your Bible quite yet, but just, just listen. Here's what David writes. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Uh, again, a powerful psalm, a powerful passage of Scripture, uh, and one we've really unpacked a lot. If you've missed some of those uh, messages in the, in the previous verses, I'd encourage you to go uh, watch those uh, sermons online on YouTube, or you can go to our podcast and listen to the audio content, maybe while you're, while you're at work, or while you're, you're driving to work, or while you're just working in the yard. Uh, get caught up on some of that. There's some rich content there that we've seen and we've dived into uh, with the 23rd Psalm. So today we're, we're talking about the table before me. It says that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. So that we're looking today at the table before me. We've looked at this good shepherd, uh, Jesus Christ, and, and how he was a shepherd, and how the shepherd led us into rest and into rejuvenation and into refreshment. He's led us into, into right paths or paths of righteousness. Uh, last week, we, we talked in depth, and it was, man, it was a, a, hopefully an encouragement to most people that, that he is there leading us through, and what, not just leading us through, but he says he is with us, right? He says, um, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death or, or through the darkest valley, I fear no danger for you are with me. So it's, it's even transferred from he leads to saying you, identifying and understanding that you are with me. And when I go through the darkest valley, it's not that he's just leading me and he's far ahead of me and I've got to kind of catch up, but he is walking with me. And I, I made the argument last week that, that there are so many times in our lives where I know I felt not only is he with me, but he is in the darkest valley, picked me up and carried me. And we found the hope that, that he is actually leading us through, right? He's with us through the valley of the shadow of death, that we, we aren't stuck in that. We're moving through. There's light on the horizon that he has prepared a place for us as we trust in him. So today we're moving in from that place to the place of a, a celebration. We see the, the security of a celebration uh, for those whose faith is in the Lord as their shepherd. So that's where we're going to be today in verse 5, looking at the table before me. We'll start uh, with prayer and then we'll, we'll get right to work. Father, thank you so much for your great name and that you are the good shepherd. We thank you that we can find refreshment and rest for our souls in you. And God, as we study today, as we look to your word, may you open our hearts and minds to be receptive to it. We ask you to convict us, God, to challenge us, to challenge our thinking, 
God, that we would think correctly about who you are, about, who the, or about what the gospel uh, teaches to us, that we would embrace it with our hearts, and we would live in faith forever changed. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So the table before me. Uh, look at number one, and it's, you can find your notes if you want notes on, uh, online. Uh, those notes are available for today and the discussion questions. But number one is this. The table before me reveals the celebration and security of salvation. The table before me reveals the celebration and security of salvation. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Listen, we, we see in Scripture that there is so much celebrating over sinners who repent and express faith in Christ. In fact, uh, he is a good host, and he, as a good host, welcomes his sons and daughters to the table. And there's not a single thing the enemies of God or our enemies can do to challenge or change our position at the table. It's an amazing truth that, that when God welcomes us into his family, we are his family forever, safe and secure because of what he has accomplished, that he is a good host, and that, that he is welcoming us in. I want to look at this celebration in a couple different ways. I love the passage out of Luke chapter 15, and, and you could turn there if you'd like, or you could just listen to what I read. Uh, Luke 15 it has three different kind of parables there, uh, stories of, of uh, lost sheep, and we see the, the 10 coins, we see the 90, 99 plus one sheep. So the, when, when, the, when the owner goes out or the shepherd goes out and finds that sheep and brings them back, there's celebration. And then we see the, the parable often referred to as the prodigal son. It really is the tale of two sons. And we see two different viewpoints here on this. But, but I want to read a little bit of that one from the prodigal son, starting at verse 20 of chapter 15 in Luke. Uh, he's gone off. He squandered his father's wealth, the, what one son has. And, and he, uh, he's found himself destitute. He's found himself uh, absolutely at the, at the wit's end, trying to even eat the carob pods that he's feeding to the pigs. And he comes to his senses, Scripture says. And then it says in verse 20, He got up. When he came to his senses, he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and, and was filled with compassion. He ran, threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. What we see is as we see the Lord prepare a table before us, what we see is celebration. We see God celebrating over sinners who have turned from themselves and turned to faith in him as the good shepherd that he is the one that's mighty to save and that he, God celebrates that salvation as he adopts us into his family as sons and daughters. But this was a tale of two brothers, wasn't it? And we see the, the other brother gets a little mad at this. And you can look at this more de in depth and context as you read and study later. But the other brother, uh, he, he, he got mad at his dad. He got mad at the father for, for giving this brother who squandered his wealth this party, this celebration, this feast. And the other brother what he didn't realize is he could have enjoyed all that the father had had he come to his senses and embraced the father in faith. He never did, though. He just checked off the list, working as hard as he could in a legalistic religious style. And Jesus here is pointing out the Pharisees' hypocrisy. He's saying, listen, the other brother, the one we think is the good one that's all squared away, has actually had nothing to do with the father in the way that the father would want. He might be checking off the boxes and, and going through the motions, but he has never come to his senses and come to the Father so the Father could celebrate with him and give him 
this celebration. But, but what he sees in verse 32, he, he answers his son because he was mad again about the celebration happening. The dad says, but we had to celebrate and rejoice. We had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You see, God celebrates over lost sinners who come to faith and come to their senses, repentantly turning to the transforming grace and power found in Jesus Christ. We see that celebration continue. I, I want to show you a little bit in, in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter uh, 19, I'll begin in verse 7. But let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory, because the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And here, here's the, the nugget here. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. And he also said to me, These words of God are true. Listen, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. God calls us and he says, listen, you're sinful, you're separated from me, but I've paid the ultimate price so that you could have life. If you would trust in me through faith, you will be grafted into my family as sons and daughters. You'll be the one that's blessed and invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. We'll be at a table that God has prepared and set out and he'll celebrate the fact that we have come to faith in him and what he has done. We are blessed, but really ultimately at that celebration, what we find ourselves doing is celebrating the gracious host who has provided everything. You'll notice that in verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory. Listen, you and I can't sit at the table as sons and daughters and be celebrated over for very long. We find joy and blessing and peace because we are saved by grace, but all of that ultimately goes back and is pushed on the Father. And we're thankful to him and give him glory for what he has accomplished and we celebrate him. So there's a celebration happening here. There's a neat thing here too because it talks about that, that he prepares a table before us, a celebratory table before us in the presence of our enemies. Well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. And for, for David, you think about David. I, I love this picture because we've seen so much of David and, and the covenant nature of God's love over David and, and the covenant nature of God's love for us through David's life and through his legacy. We have to remember that through the line of David came the Messiah, came Jesus Christ. So there was an enduring love, a faith, faithful love, a covenantial love that was poured out over the house and line of David. That God continued to establish David, continued to rescue David, continued to set him up at a table in the presence of his enemies where his enemies couldn't even touch him. This is what David enjoyed. He sat there at this table that God had, had put down there in his covenant faithful love to endure David's line so that the Messiah would be born. This is who God is. This is what God has done. So the note here for us, as we, as we look on, as we go forward, there is a real faith that we have had in, in this covenant God who, who has established himself through David's line and established himself as the Messiah, God come to earth, and he's given himself for us. Now we have faith in him. And through that faith, we are celebrated over. Through that repentance, we are celebrated over. And we celebrate him. But at this table, there is nothing that the enemies of God can do to prevent the enjoyment of God's generous hospitality by those who have expressed faith in him. As we sit and enjoy this amazing table, there's nothing God's enemies can do. They are powerless to prevent us from that enjoyment. They are powerless to take that away from us. They can only stand by and watch. And ultimately what we see is judgment upon themselves. They'll stand by and watch. 
They'll, they'll weep, they'll bow, they'll kneel, and it will be too late for them. They will depart from the Lord. We see that promise in, in Romans of the security. So there's a celebration happening, but there's a security that's around this table. We see the Romans 8, verses 33 through 39. We talk about the enemies of God. Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies, right? So God is doing this work. He's the one to be celebrated. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more, he has been raised, and he is also at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I think this goes back to last week when we talked about verse 4. Even though I walk through the deepest valley or the, the valley of the shadow of death or the darkest, darkest valley, Right? There's times of persecution, there's times of famine, there's times of, of danger and peril and sword. But he is with me. Even in the middle of that, there's nothing that can separate me from that. He is with me. So who can separate us from the love of Christ? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. Right? There's still peril there. The, the apostles ex, uh, experienced extreme persecution. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Right? We're, we're the sheep in his fold though counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No, it says in verse 37, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's an amazing amazing passage of scripture for us, that there is security. There's not only celebration because we are his, we are his sheep, and even though we experience peril, we are still his and he is with us, and he is going to bring us through the valley of the shadow of death, even if that means death itself, but this, this is just a tent, it's a shell, and that he is going to bring me through that time and through that peril to him, and I will celebrate at his table as a son or a daughter of the Most High because he has secured my place through faith in Jesus Christ. There is celebration over my repentance and over your repentance. But the celebration and praise should quickly turn to him because he's the one who has secured it. It's an amazing thing. And that leads us to the next thing, number two. The table before me shows how the Lord provides. It's not only about God celebrating the fact that we came to him in faith and repented of our sin and that he secured us as sons and daughters. It's about that he secured us. It's about that he did the work, that he offered the opportunity. He provided the way. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're saying, God, you, you're the one who has prepared the table. You're the one who has set it out in array. You have laid it out perfectly. You have accomplished everything in its place as it should be. This is what God is saying. I want to look at this idea of him being a good host for us and preparing this table. But, and, and he contrasts himself as a good host versus other bad hosts. And, and that contrast should be the, the good shepherd versus false shepherds, right, that we've seen and that we have in our society and around us. So we're in Luke chapter 7, and I want to read bits and pieces of this story um, in Luke, and it starts in verse 36. One of the Pharisees invited him, that's Jesus, to eat with him. He entered the Pharisee's house, and, and he reclined at the table. And a woman in the town who was a sinner found out that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, a really expensive jar of perfume, and stood behind him at his feet, weeping. 
and began to wash his feet with her tears. She wiped his feet with her hair, kissing them and anointing them with perfume. Now, this angered the Pharisees. This angered this religious leader. Like, how, how could Jesus do this? How could he allow this unclean woman to even touch him or be around him? This is, this is profoundly uh, horrible, right? And, and, and so this is their attitude. And, and Jesus has, it, has a conversation with them about that. But he goes back and he, he turns to the woman and, he, and he's saying, speaking to Simon, he says, the, the, this Pharisee, uh, he says, do you see that this, this woman right now? And of course he does. But he says, do you see this woman? I entered your house. So here's the comparison and contrast of a good host who prepares a table before us. He says, I entered your house and you didn't give me water for my feet. But she, with her tears, has washed my feet and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she hasn't stopped kissing my feet since I came in. You didn't anoint my head with olive oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. That's why she has loved much. But the one who is forgiven little loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Those who were at the table with him began to to say among themselves, who is this man that, that forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, there's some comparison and contrast here. We have the bad host who invited Jesus in and, and should have given him water for his feet and should have anointed his head with oil and refreshed him and revived him. But he did none of that. He said, oh, just come on in and have a seat. Recline at the table. Let's, let's get down to business. He was a bad host. And, and what you see is that, that Jesus is portraying himself as the good shepherd, right? And we see in Psalm 23 that he is the good host. He prepares the table for us. He anoints our head with oil, our cup overflows. These are important truths of the good host, things that he does for us and that we're, we're going through today. But what's interesting about this story is that, that this woman comes to the table as well. The unprepared table, not having been anointed, Jesus not having been anointed, not having any water given to them. There's nothing that their cup is overflowing. There's nothing here that's, that shows abundance or satisfaction. Everything here points to a bad host, this leader who invited Jesus, but when she comes in, she bypasses the host altogether, and she runs to Jesus. And, and here's, here's the deal. What you and I have to understand is, yes, there's a table prepared before us. Yes, he is a gracious, amazing host. Yes, he provides what we need, and everything on that table is in its place. But more than anything, what he provides for us is himself. You see, Jesus is the one who lays himself out. He's the one who lays himself down. He's the one who says, I am everything you need. Come to me. And see, the woman here knew that. His body and his blood are on the table because he prepared an offering of himself as everything we need. And this woman realized that. She realized that he was everything she needed. So she went to him, not to be celebrated, but to celebrate him and to, to go to him as the ultimate provision, the one who could really forgive sin. Yes, he will celebrate repentant, faith-filled believers. But he has provided himself first. And without that provision, there is no celebration. Without what Christ has accomplished in our place, in my place, and in your place, and without faith in that provision, in faith in Christ, there is no celebration to be had at all. Jesus reminds us in John 10, 
He says, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. That's what the good shepherd does. He lays down his life. It's not just this big party. It's this fact that he comes to give himself in the utmost care of his sheep, in the place of his sheep, so the sheep could have life. In Philippians, we see that humility of Christ in chapter 2, starting in verse 7. It says, instead, Jesus, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant. Again, this is the idea of a shepherd, uh, all in humility. God left his total glory of who he was, and he added to that this flesh, humanity, right, this achy body, and he offered it to die. The shepherd who is in a lowly position comes to serve and be a servant of all. So he took the form of human likeness, and and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, he offered himself on the altar for us, on the table for us. He, He laid himself out so that you and I could have life. He stretched out his arms on the cross and gave up his life so that you and I would not have to die that way. He died in my place. He died in your place that you and I could have life. And we see this continue. He continues to show himself as what is actually prepared on the table. And today as we celebrate the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, we're celebrating the fact that what he put on the table, what he offered to us was sufficient. In John 6, he says this in in verses 47 to 51. It says, truly I tell you, anyone who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. But this is the bread that comes down from heaven so that anyone may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give him, that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is what Jesus is offering, that himself, his body and his blood. He talks about this also in Matthew 26. He's at the Lord's Supper, the last supper, right before he's arrested and crucified. It's, it's his Passover supper, and he's sharing this meal with the disciples. In verse 26 and following, he says this, As they were eating, Jesus took bread, he blessed it and broke it, and he gave it to the disciples and said, Take and eat it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, And after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. See, Jesus understands that, yes, there is a celebration to be had over sinners who come to faith in Christ and repent of their sin, but it had to start with him as the provision. He is the bread. He is the drink. He is what is prepared for us and what is given for us that we might have life. He offers himself that we might partake and we might live. The table, listen, the table prepared before us without the Lord as our provision is absolutely insufficient. It's actually worthless. He is the provision that we need. He provides. Number three, the table before me is a source of refreshment and strength. It's a source of refreshment and strength. He says, you anoint my head with oil. And we think about this refreshment. He's already referred to this in verse 3. We see that, that when we follow the good shepherd, we find rest for our souls, or he renews our life. That's continued on here. And the picture for David and, and the anointing of oil, there's a couple ways this is interpreted in Scripture and seen in Scripture. One, we, we see David anointed with oil uh, to be king. He, he's set apart as king. He's chosen as king. Uh, 
That's not what we see here. We, we understand that that's still in play, that he's still the chosen one of God, that out of the house and line of David will come the Messiah. But that's not what's in play here. There's, there's more here of, a, of that soothing and refreshing. That term anointed here is, is more uh, accurately translated here. It's that refreshing. You're refreshing me. You're anointing me. And that's what happened with oil. We saw earlier with Jesus. He, he went into the house expecting this anointing with oil, and it's for refreshment. It's a soothing. You're in the dry, dry arid area. Your, your skin, it's, it's like a lotion that we use today. People would put it on for refreshment, to give their skin a break and let it stretch and relax and not be so dry. And that was what happened here as well. He says, that you, you prepare uh, the table before me and you anoint me with oil. He says, You're, you refresh me. You continue to refresh me. The refreshment doesn't end. It just continues. And we see this in Matthew too when Jesus is speaking, on, uh, he's preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And he's talking about prayer and he's talking about fasting. He says, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. So yeah, there's, there's an obvious physical effect from fasting. It's, it kind of makes you a little weary. It makes you a little weak, potentially. And, and so what he's saying is they, they do it on purpose. They, they make sure people know, oh, poor me, I'm fasting right now. And that's their reward, he says. I Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But he says, when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others. So it's such an amazing thing that there's a truth here behind oil, and oils of the time. It was a healing balm that they would put it on wounds that were hurting and aching and, and they would feel better and they'd find relief. They'd put it on skin that was dry. They'd find relief. They'd, it would soothe the head. It would make you feel refreshed again. So there's a refreshment to be had through this anointing. And, and for David, he understood that. He knew that God was his refreshment. God was the source of his refreshment, the source of his strength. And see, when we're refreshed is that time our strength can come back again, isn't it? When we're feeling weak, as, fun, as soon as we have that refreshment, that soothing, our strength begins to return again. See, strength and, and refreshment are connected there. But what does that mean for us? We see what it means for David. You and I may use a hair conditioner that keeps our hair soothed, right? Our head soothed. We might use a nice facial lotion that keeps our face and skin soothed and, and moist and not, not dried out. Right, But what does it mean for us today? What does that anointing look like for us? Who God has prepared a table for and he anoints us with oil. What does that anointing look like? Well, we see that language in, in the New Testament as, as alluding to and, and, uh, the Holy Spirit. It's God's Holy Spirit on those who believe. I want to read a couple passages that have to do with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. It says, Now it is God who strengthens us. So here's the strength we're getting. Well, how? God strengthens us together with you in Christ and who has anointed us. Okay, well, there, there's some strength here from Christ and his anointing. It says, he has also put his seal on us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment. See, God gives us a spirit and, and the spirit is a seal for our down payment. There's the security that we have again at the table, but the security brings comfort. Comfort is here. Soothing is here. Refreshment is here. Strength is here. He's strengthening us by the power of his spirit. I, I hope that you, as a believer in Christ, can understand uh, just how impactful the Holy Spirit can be. You and I need to learn to rely on the Holy Spirit more and more every day. That we want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. And we want to find that comfort and peace and joy and refreshment found in the, in the indwelling presence of God in us. That's the mystery, right? It's Christ in us by the power of his Holy Spirit. And he, through his anointing by the Holy Spirit, strengthens and comforts us.
And we see that that, that, that spirit inside of us also confirms and, and that strength and confirms truth and what's wrong and what's right in the world. We see in 1 John, this is spelled out in chapter 2, verses 18 to 20, uh, 21. He says, children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard that, that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. By this we know that it is the last hour. Antichrists have come, right? They went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so that it might be made clear that none of them belongs to us. I want to make a quick distinction real quick before we continue in that passage. And I made this distinction the past couple weeks. It's so important for us to realize that there are those in and among us, even our friends, who, who seem to be people of faith. But really, they are there because they're, they're being satisfied by a relationship with the sheep. They're being satisfied by the green pastures where they can feed and they feel like this is all I need. Maybe even the still, still waters, they're finding refreshment there. But in the end, it will end for them because they aren't being satisfied by the good shepherd himself. And what this scripture is saying is that when we, the sheep, have actually come to trust in the good shepherd and we've been led out and follow the good shepherd, then he gives us real satisfaction. Then he gives us real nourishment, real rejuvenation, real refreshment. The other type is just really fake. We just are, find ourselves following where God's sheep are going. Although they were, they were among us, they did not belong to us. For if they belonged to us, they would have remained with us. However, they went out so it might be made clear that none of, us, none of them belonged to us. But you... But you, little children, right? But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And all of you know the truth. See, there's this confirmation inside of us. For those who have repented and have faith in Christ, he's given us the Holy Spirit. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we understand that refreshment is only found in Christ through the Good Shepherd. And that comfort comes by the power of his spirit in us and strength comes and refreshment and rejuvenation and truth. But you have an anointing from the Holy One and all of you know the truth. I have not written to you uh, because you don't know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Listen, through the power of God's spirit, we know the truth. We know that, that life is not found in the green pastures or in the still waters or with other sheep. We know the truth that life is found in Christ alone. And he is our refreshment and our peace and our strength. Finally, number four, the table before me is completely satisfying. It's completely satisfying. He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup over." flows. This is the abundant joy and peace that wells up inside because of the abundant grace lavished on us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Going back to John 6, we read part of this earlier. John 6, 26, Jesus says this, he answered, truly I tell you, you are looking for me not because you saw the signs, right? Not because you wanted the shepherd, not because you wanted the Messiah, not because of everything in the scriptures that points to me as such, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Your gut, your gut was satisfied. Don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. 
What can we do to perform the works of God, they asked. Jesus replied, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one that he has sent. What sign then are you going to do that we might believe you, they asked. What are you going to perform? Our ancestors, they ate the manna in the wilderness, just as it's written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Well, Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. I am the bread of life, Jesus told them. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry, and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. You see, when we we talk about the table before us, and what God has provided through himself and, and given us the opportunity to believe in faith. He is everything we need. And in him, it is completely satisfying. And what, what we need to understand, not only is it completely satisfying, that there's abundant grace and there's abundant mercy, there's abundant love upon love lavished upon us, but that through faith in Christ, he forgives us completely. And our sins are removed as far as the east is from the west. So now we have this peace with God that we could have never had without him. And as we have peace with God, the joy in our heart wells up and overflows. And that we truly are completely satisfied in him because in him is the only life we could ever have. But that continues to overflow. That life we have is not just for us to well up inside and feel good about ourselves. It's uncontained. The idea of overflowing means that, that there's this, this feeling going on, but my cup is too small. And that the, cup that's, that, that the only cup that I need that's being filled is filling up and it's, it's overflowing. Well, what does that look like around us? What does it mean for you and I to overflow? For you and I who have trusted Christ in faith, who have put our faith in him and in his provision, the encouragement from, from Romans is for us. Romans 15, 13. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe. So that, now get this, God is absolutely going to fill you with joy and hope and peace as you believe, but it's so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, God is not done with the world. God is not done with your friends and their family who, who don't, don't know him as Savior. He wants our cup to overflow so that they might see that he is completely satisfying. You know, we look at a text like Psalm 23 and we take it for granted because we've heard it so many times, dozens, hundreds, thousands of times. But looking in depth at this, we see the the provision of God himself. That God is our shepherd and and we have everything we need in him. And that, that we find refreshment for our soul and satisfaction for our soul and we find comfort and we find rest we find nourishment and we find peace we find forgiveness and we find celebration over us as we have turned to him in faith but that celebration is quickly turned back to him because he has been our provision and he anoints us with the power of his spirit he fills us up not to just be lacking and not to just walk behind see listen too many sheep walk behind Jesus thinking oh I was a really bad sheep I'll just sit in the very very back Jesus says no you have been forgiven You are white as snow. You are now an heir with me to all that the Father has. You have become my brother and my sister. I've grafted you into the family. You don't have to be the black sheep anymore. 
And this isn't about living in abundance here. It's about our hearts being abundantly satisfied in Christ alone. I hope that your satisfaction is from the filling and power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace and peace that we find in Jesus Christ, and that by that filling, we will be filled up in a way that overflows to the world around us. And that'll lead us into next week. And next week's promise from Psalm 23, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. That's the ultimate promise of all of these passages, all of these scriptures. Goodness and mercy. Goodness and faithful love. God's covenant love for us. Going before us, walking with us, and going behind us all the days of our life. May you overflow with that today. Let me pray for us before we go to Lord's Supper. Father, I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you have given us everything we need through your sacrifice, that you have actually laid yourself down on this table you prepared for us so we might partake and have life. Fill us, Lord, to abundance with peace and hope and joy by the power of your Spirit that we might overflow to the world around us and they might know and be satisfied in Christ as well. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, hopefully you have your elements. Go ahead and grab uh, the juice or the, the crackers that you've, you've prepared. I've got mine here. As we partake, we, uh, we stop and pause to remember all that Christ has done for us. We remember that he has laid himself down on the cross and as the provision on our table. That when we partake, we are saying that he is the one who brings life. Listen, nothing you or I ha- have done can earn us anything. Only by faith in what he has done and what he has accomplished may we have life. So today as we partake, we remember. And, and for, for the instructions for the Lord's Supper, I, I would encourage you in a few ways. First, this is a time where you really analyze your heart. Make sure there's no pride in you and make sure there's no, no look at how good I am. Of course I can take the Lord's Supper. I'm, I'm, I'm the best sheep around. No, you're not. You're a forgiven sheep. And Jesus paid it all so you could be forgiven. And when we come back with him, he's going to be the one dripping with blood and we're the ones white and clean. It's because of what he has done. So when we partake in the Lord's table, we are saying that he is my provision. He is my everything. He is my security. He is my salvation. He is my hope. He is my joy. There's nothing of me that creates that or or enables that or earns that. It's all about Jesus. So the, the Lord's table is for Christ followers, people who have been made clean through faith in Christ, and it means everything to us. If you're not a Christ follower, I would encourage you just to ponder this and, and think about this. Maybe go study it a little more in depth. Uh, maybe you have children with you who aren't quite there as far as believing. We don't want to let them watch and learn and glean from what we have known in Christ, and, uh, and maybe your children are, are solid Christ followers. They're going to partake with you. That's amazing. So we're going to take the cup, uh, or, or the cup, the cracker. I have a cup with a cracker in it, and uh, I'm going to read the scripture, and we'll partake together. I'll read the scripture, and I'll pray, and then we'll partake together, and then we'll read the scriptures and pray and partake of the, of the juice as well. Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, that on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we are so grateful that you are our provision that you have laid yourself down. You've offered your body and your blood for us. God, you've given it so that we might have life, that through your stripes, through your wounds, we are healed. We remember and we are thankful for all that you have offered and given us through the sacrifice on the cross. 
We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Take the cup now. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's, it's very similar to what we read a minute ago. For as often as we do this, we proclaim. What we're saying is that he anoints my head with oil. My cup overflows. As I partake of his cup, my cup overflows and I proclaim his death until he comes. Father, we are so grateful for the blood that you shed, the sacrifice you made for our sins. Father, Scripture says that without the sacrifice or the, or the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. Thank you for offering yourself for us. Thank you for being our provision. God, now as we partake in remembrance and have partaken in you for faith in Christ, for salvation, God, we ask that you would help us proclaim the Lord's death until he comes, that we would overflow with the message of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Well, God bless you guys. I'm, I'm so encouraged to be able to bring the word to you, to your home, wherever you are. I want to still encourage you to, to uh, come consider being a part of our outdoor worship service that, uh, that happened at 9.30 in the morning on Sunday mornings. It's a great time together uh, out in the, uh, the grassy lawn area of the north, south. It's the southwest uh, corner of the cemetery. So a great opportunity to be out there worshiping alongside your brothers and sisters. Listen, you and I need community. And I know for some of us, it's not quite the right time to get back involved, and you might be being extra cautious, but I would tell you this, seek out community. Seek out people who you can connect with, who you can visit with, who you can share with, who you can be encouraged by, and always pointed back to Jesus. We're in this together. I love you guys lots. Hope you have a great day. God bless you.